I was just exposed to a lot of gang culture, a lot of fighting, a lot of police uh, brutality, a lot of people taking advantage of the police. Uh. You're listening to the Experience Sikhi podcast, a deeper look into the Sikh identity. We present to you open, honest, and inspiring stories. No armor, pretense, or sugarcoating. Welcome to the Experience Sikhi podcast. I'm Kalinder Singh. And I'm Dalrad Singh. And we begin the podcast by acknowledging that we are meeting on Aboriginal land that has been inhabited by Indigenous peoples from the beginning. As settlers, we're grateful for the opportunity to meet here, and we thank all the generations of people who have taken care of this land for thousands of years. In particular, we acknowledge the traditional territory of the Anishinaabek and Huron-Wendat, and also just some reminders. If you guys like the podcast, please remember to comment, rate, and subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play, as well as Spotify and other platforms that you listen to your podcast on. You can also send us questions and feedback at podcast at That's podcast at Our guest today is Just Gunville Singh. You may have already heard the name. He recently published his debut book titled Feminism Saved My Life and It May Just Save the World and has also been featured in a BBC video about his journey into Sikhi. He has a law degree from the University of Ottawa and also publishes poetry on his Instagram page at justgunville.sing. During this podcast, he'll share his experiences as a law student, a poet, and an author. Because Just Gunville Singh's story is such a deep one, we've actually added a bonus episode just for you. The first episode will focus on our theme of Sikh professionalism, but please also be sure to check out the bonus episode where we will be going into a deep dive of Jaskanval Singh's book and other topics that we weren't able to address uh, in this episode due to the theme. So here's Jaskanval Singh. Welcome Jaskanval Singh. Thanks for being on the podcast with us today. How are you doing? I'm wonderful. How are you? Good, good. Um, so we're just going to jump right into it. All right, we're going to ask you basic questions just by yourself and then we'll get into uh, some of the deeper questions so can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself just introduce yourself briefly yeah sure as uh, as you know uh, my name is Jessica Noel Singh um, my passions and hobbies uh, I think from a young age always stemmed from philosophy poetry um, and just learning um, mm-hmm. as, as a young student I was really interested in those uh, types of areas right but as I grew older around me I think that my environment definitely had a an impact on my trajectory okay. and and what I uh, began to get into but at my core um, I love nature mm-hmm. I love uh, going to the gym jogging um, playing video games uh, reading um, especially fantasy kind of books Harry Potter Lord yeah. of the Rings yeah, Game of Thrones um, you know and poetry philosophy so uh, I would say those are the things that really call out to me. Right. And did you get into philosophy and poetry right around like high school? Like when did that type of content uh, start? Like you started reading that content? Kind of as a kid, uh, when I learned about, when I was exposed to my teachers about ancient civilizations, mm. like Egypt, um, Greece, Rome, just something about all of those kinds of uh, civilizations and the way people lived back then yeah. um, seemed really cool. And I remember at the time as a kid and even in middle school, I'm thinking, wow, we live in such a fast-paced world. Mm-hmm. Compared to today, obviously, it feels like a turtle's kind of pace back then. But Definitely. even then, I was just thinking in Egypt and all of these places, it just seems much more simple and, and more deeper, like a deeper sense of existence back then. Right. 
right and so you we're going to kind of touch on this obviously as we go into the podcast more but um you wanted can you just talk about being a lawyer like very briefly like uh, how you got into just getting uh, into that profession and like uh, writing a book recently got into Zikki just at a high level I would say sure so the area I grew up around was just by Jane and Finch and around uh, around that area just growing up from a very young age I was just exposed to a lot of gang culture a lot of fighting a lot of police uh, brutality a lot of people taking advantage of the police uh, of minority rights especially right. there was a lot of uh, you know a very high population of minorities um, in that area and there was also um, a lot of racism because of that too because even though there w were a lot of minorities there was still um, just a, a racist overall uh, environment that we were in right. and I, I think from a young age this kind of grouped people together um, that came from similar backgrounds mm -hmm. um, especially the immigrant parents who uh, had a hard time adjusting into society at the time because uh, my dad my parents, they came here, I would say, 40 or so years ago, maybe wow. a bit more so back then, or 50 at almost, actually. Yeah. Um, and so it was, it was much different back then. And so um, I think that really instilled a sense of justice inside of me. Um, yeah. I wanted to always stand up and do and do the right thing, so to speak. Um, and seeing that the, the kind of uh, abuse from a systemic level, from uh, a personal level, mm. from the home, from uh, police interactions, it just really instilled that sense of justice yeah. and so I um, and then on top of that obviously um, from a young age from uh, you know kind of traditional parents who kind of had to get adjusted to the society and their credentials not being respected limited their options um, so my dad was only able to really work in a factory even though he had a higher education like many of our parents and yeah and so he mm -hmm. kind of had that worldview which was instilled inside of me like many of us lawyer doctor engineer yeah. so that was already kind of a base so I kind of worked around that and I always loved reading and writing and so slowly that coincided with justice and law and that pressure from parents and it kind of drove me towards really loving uh, law in high school and then taking uh, the criminal criminology program at York University then going to law school because I always saw that as kind of related even though it's not you can go to law school with any degree yeah, yeah. but at the time it was just criminal law I loved criminal law and criminology and 100%. right so law school and then uh and then, yeah, so after graduating from law school, I went to Ottawa. Um, after graduating from there, I came back, worked at a few family law firms, personal injury, and it just wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Um, the kind of vision I had from a young age about justice, about upholding the law, about helping people, right. wasn't quite what I was met with. Right. And so that kind of exacerbated this deep sense of uh, a void and mm -hmm. depression, I would say, um, about this disassociation with what I viewed and what I wanted to do, what I wanted to kind of uh, serve um, to the world in, in terms of just service right. and, and not being able to do that in a very uh, bottom line focused kind of environment, which is what I kept running into. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of a pattern yeah. and it took a while for me to understand that there is more that I, I wanted to do deep inside, right. but that was covered, all the stuff that I talked about and alluded to during childhood that was covered from the the kinds of themes uh, that I uh, I went through regarding toxic masculinity and, and all these other things, but that was covered. So when I finally took a step back and, and kind of uh, started digging deep within myself, that was when uh, I got in touch with myself, I would say, as, as a kid, what I actually wanted to do, which was not necessarily be a lawyer, right. but be an advocate. 
Right. I think uh, the you know a lawyer is like a label, it's an occupation, mm -hmm. a career. Absolutely. But the, at the deeper root of it is an advocate, and an advocate can be many things. Yes. Um, a lawyer is one of them. But yeah, so so that was uh, what called out to me. Awesome. And did you see that disconnect between your vision of what you would do as a lawyer or the services you would provide within law school, or did that come as an epiphany afterwards? Kind of uh, both. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think I was uh, kind of ignoring it in law school. Um, everyone kind of, you know, pushed the corporate um, dream. Um, so I kind of got caught up in that and, and thought that was what I wanted to do as well. And so sent mm -hmm. up applications then too. Some law students would say, you know, during class, uh, if the teacher would ask, um, so why did you take this class? Um, someone would just raise their hand and say money. Mm -hmm. um, and and it's, it's not that I judge anyone for that. Everyone has their own reasons for doing stuff. But um, the core values of the legal system and of what the law system is supposed to be about justice and righteousness and civility, humility, right. um, honesty and candor and respect in the courtroom. All of these things weren't there um, to the extent that I thought they would be in law school. But I kind of at the time, I wasn't really in touch with myself either. Right. So I was mm -hmm. kind of just thinking I kind of was just always thinking of the future. I'm like, yeah, it'll be better than it'll be better than I wasn't like really consciously understanding what I even wanted. So at the at a deeper level, I wanted that at the back of my head, the, the sense of justice. But at that level where I was living at that moment, I was just thinking, I just going through the motions and just uh, it'll work out uh, something. Yeah. So, so what would you recommend for someone who is looking at the legal profession and to s kind of allow them to see what in reality uh, the, the kind of legal system is like? Uh, what kind of things would you recommend them they look at before getting into the legal profession or while they're in the kind of track to becoming a lawyer? Um, what are the things that you would recommend for them to watch out for and if it's in line with what they believe? Definitely the type of uh, the people that they're surrounding themselves with, even in mm -hmm. law school. Um, a lot of them are, everyone's there for different reasons, just like, you know, everyone does everything for different reasons. But right. a lot of, it's still kind of, like, I guess you would say, clicky. In law school, there, there are certain people there that come from certain um, upbringings or environments where they're at a just, you know, just they're operating at a different level. Mm -hmm. And whereas people that have a sense of justice and passion, maybe at a different level. And so there's different groups like pro bono um, students groups where, where they're about selfless service and those types of things that will really keep you grounded and rooted in what you actually want. Otherwise, you know, it's, it's like with any occupation or career, the rat race mentality will kind of catch up and yeah, definitely. the debts and, you know, everything will kind of put this pressure on you. And then if you especially come from a community like ours, which can be toxic in terms of that pressure to compete, um, not the Sikhi um, community, but the Punjabi community. Yeah. So yeah. that community can make things problematic um, because then, then you get caught up even more in the rat race. So it's really about being grounded right. um, and, and watching out for... First, just learning about yourself and knowing your roots and knowing your values right. and sticking true, staying true to those. Right. Yeah, for, for sure. sure. And again, just to touch upon one more thing, let's say um, someone is in the middle of law school and they're having these kind of realizations that this may not be for me, but there's all that pressure from behind. Like we have to push through now all the money and time invested. Um, did you see people maybe drop out for like the right reasons that it wasn't for them or was there that constant pressure when you were in law school there were some people um who were struggling with that uh that dilemma for sure and and it, it's a tough decision because yeah. you're preparing for it and you have these expectations um and so 
the people that did have this dilemma, um, myself included, I I just really just thought, you know what, let me do, let me get the degree out of the way and then go from there. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And I did kind of believe um, that it's not, you know, just don't get caught up in, in a workplace per se and get stuck in that position. But the education is something that no one can take from you. The credentials, right. um, it's not being attached to the prestige of it. It's mm-hmm. more of, you know, this is something that you earned and that you worked hard for. And with that blessing that if you're able to push through it and get through it, it can just be something that you have, which can be transferable in other areas. For example, uh, while writing the book, because so much of law school is about persuasively writing, mm-hmm. I feel like that kind of helped me um, write with the book. So like there's different, there's negotiation skills you can learn in law school. There's reading, writing, comprehension. And so all of those things don't necessarily have to be in a law firm, but it can just be with people skills or write like anything. So And those sure. skills are just like handy across the board, right? For sure, yeah. for sure. In life in general. Uh, moving on now, you recently did a BBC video talking about your journey into Sikhi, um, which went viral on all of our, our social medias. That's how we were exposed to it. And the narrative was spun and it didn't really convey the message that you wanted to get out. You've also addressed this on your Instagram page from what I've seen through a couple of videos. Can you talk about your journey before you got into Sikhi and then how you got into the Sikhi through your own words, your own sure, view? Sure. Um, so... I had a turban as a kid. My mom um, would tie a turban on me as a kid. Um, and it was something I kind of always loved. You know, I liked it. I liked my hair. Um, I loved how long it was. I loved when my mom would tie it for me. Um, I would love the, you know, oil uh, massages, the scalp massages. So yeah. it felt calming, therapeutic, <laughs> and it was just nice, that, that bonding time. Yeah. Um, although my dad he he didn't he actually cut his hair when he initially came to Canada due to police brutality um, racism physical verbal abuse and the economic pressure I feel to conform mm-hmm. I didn't know this until actually just this past year um, like for the reasons why he did that right, but right. I, I so I didn't know this um, but um, there was a bit there's confusion um, because slowly I would get um, called you know packy terrorist um, some that's on what's on your head at like questioning uh, pointing laughing uh when my hair was loose i remember at a pool um someone would say you know why is that girl shirtless yeah. so like even though it uh, i didn't get like angry right yeah. at the time it was just is building up it builds right up, mm-hmm. builds yeah. up. and and at that point when it builds up you have curiosity you have questions yeah. and so i would ask my parents um you know why do i have to keep my hair right but they would just say balrak keep your hair just going on you know just just right. do it just do it just do it but I was getting frustrated, and this was the insecurity that the BBC. I'm grateful for the BBC opportunity, but it's the it wasn't accurately conveyed. So, the genuine insecurity was the fact that you know, with God's blessing, I think I've always been kind of really good at school, like you know, just kind of gifted with reading, writing, and right. I've, I also just was exposed through that good, but to good teachers. That's right. what I mm-hmm. dedicated because everyone has potential. Everyone can, you know, do what they put their mind to, but they need guidance. Yes. So I was lucky to have guidance from teachers and people that believed in me in, in school. But at home, I didn't have the guidance for, for spirituality and Sikhi. And so the core insecurity was, I don't even know what to explain to people. I like it, it makes no sense to me. I have a very prominent, you know, turban on my head. Right. right. And I have no idea why. And then I'm increasingly seeing people, um, whether in media or society, and other people are cutting their hair around the same time. Yeah. Um, so it's all, you know, it's all kind of building up. And in addition to that, 
um, because I grew up around a, a lot of gang culture and uh, a lot of people that would have this masculine kind of mask. Right. Um, we fought back against this kind of racism, but it was just a logical kind of inability to explain myself. And that right. frustrated me. So that teasing and that um, emotional and psychological pain was something I didn't deal with because, again, as a boy and as a young, young man, you're not taught to really open up about that. Right. So then with my older brother and my older cousins, we just didn't have that uh, conversation. Right. We'd, you know, play wrestling and Macho Man, you know, like right. you know, Hulk Hogan, like just, you know, act tough and all the time, which is, yeah. you know, what, what we did, but we just didn't have an outlet. Yeah. So then I cut my hair. That was in grade six. And, and my name kind of changed at that point because it was a middle school transition. Right. Um, so it was a new school new identity, new appearance, new name from just Gunwall to Jesse. Right. And so I, I took on, I guess, this persona, which I obviously don't, didn't realize at the time. And year by year, you would see, you know, in grade six, um, the, a bald head, grade seven spikes. Right. With one chain. Right. Grade eight, four <laughs> chains. So it's like the rapper, two chains. I had like, you know, twice, twice, twice four chains. Yeah, so, yeah. Like dollar sign and like a little animal. I think it was like a leopard or something. Yeah. And so like wow. year by year, like the hair would get more spikier and then, then the drinking started right. in grade 10 um, as, as an, a different way to deal with, the, I guess, the emotional escapism. Because that's what we just saw and learned as well. So that escalated into binge drinking. There were fights. There was police involvement. There was, you know, house arrest. There was there was a lot of crazy stuff that happened. Because um, year by year, it just became more of a pattern. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I'm so stuck in this like sense of self and that this was me that I couldn't think beyond that box that you know the maya you know just just got a hold of me right and and year by year it just progressively got worse and then with the drinking you start with my friends and i in high school three beers or three drinks and then slowly weekend by weekend that tolerance would build up so at one point it was up to 20 plus drinks you know on, on the weekends and sometimes even 30 banquet hall party and it's such a big thing in the punjabi community the drinking so that's all i was exposed to i had no right. sangit that um, was uh, had the, the Sikhi spirituality kind of uh, guidance for me, right. whether cousins or um, friends. It was just that's what I knew and that's what we were conditioned with. And in addition to that, um, it was because of, as I alluded to earlier, uh, my father's, his pain, the intergenerational uh, trauma and from the genocide and from his effects, that all built up inside of him. And when he came here, it was kind of like that's what got him off right. the path uh, even though he uh, was an Amritari, but that was what got him away from his roots. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that all was carried out through my brother and then through me because we picked up the same habits, that same toxic behavior, and that was uh, w- what we kind of all went through. And then uh, then it was November of 2018 where um, I stopped drinking for good. Uh, I just I had, like I was just at a point where I was just so fed up because... Up until then, I was I was saying the, the drinking was getting worse. And when I was working at the law firm, that nine to five grind and that pressure um, to then stay back and do even more. Right. Um, but you're not really respected. You're just treated as kind of, you know, like there, there's a lot of ego in, in yeah. law firms. And it's always yeah. it's always been, you know, it's the opposite of what, you know, our faith is. There's so much of that, you know, you're younger than me. You're new. Right. I'm going to take advantage of you. Right. Which didn't sell well with me, even when I was told I was in charge um, of admin and staff and that i should be separate from them i didn't see it that way they're just people they're humans and so i got along with them and and i treated them with you know what what they should be treated with respect and kindness and civility but that law firm culture coinciding with the drinking 
just made that escape even more. more right. um, and so in November of 2018, I finally had enough. Um, I just wanted to become a better person. I wanted to grow and have other ways of emotional outlets. And I would be reading and watching a lot of YouTube videos or just books about self-development mm-hmm. and the the need for, I guess, to be of service, to be live with gratitude, empathy. But all of those things were blocked off because I was so used to the outlet of drinking right. and even and weed and all of those things. So so that was all blocked off. And right. I didn't know for like, it was 15 years um, of, of the weekend binge drinking um, that was getting, you know, that was just taking me away from who I was. And that's another problem is that people think, oh, I don't drink every day. I'm not an alcoholic or it's not a problem, but right. it's, it's about the reasons we drink. It's about the patterns and Intent. it's about exactly intention and, and all of those things. So, so that's when I stopped uh, November 2018. Um, and around the same time, I was getting into spirituality, reading books about the power of now and, and just meditation and all of those sorts of things. And I started to see kind of human life, animal life as one consciousness. Mm-hmm. And that made me want to stop eating meat. So I kind of around the same time, I stopped uh, eating meat. And my and that was just blessings, um, Kerpa, along the way, because I wasn't thinking of Sikhi at that time, although my brother, he actually uh, went to Harmandir Sahib eight years ago or so. And when he came back, his life kind of changed and he was blessed with Amrit. Wow. And, and he would always talk to me about, you know, Sikhi. And mm-hmm. I just didn't think religion was for me. I was one of right. those people that always say, I'm into spirituality, but not religion. Yeah, yeah. Not knowing that the basis of our faith is pure spirituality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, and so there's always that disconnect that people have. Um, and I used to have that too, because I wasn't taught um, Sikhi in, in that perspective. But um, so when I started seeing that those things, um, I was still, this was now in January of 2019 of this year, I was still smoking weed and I just realized that was an escape too. And it's right. the same as drinking. I just, I need to actually have control, um, of my mind. I actually, right. I need to know that I'm not relying on, on something to, for escape. And I was getting into philosophy again, mm-hmm. as, um, which was a long time coming because I used to love that as a kid and. And as a, in middle school, I took a, a course in university about philosophy. But since undergrad, which was around 17, 18, till the end of law school and working law firms, there's like 10 years of wow. never getting back into that. Right. Yeah. But then I started to, and I remember reading something that said, if you think you're not addicted to something, go 30 days without it. It's not, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's not much. And when I did that and I, I took that view, I started to really find myself more. And so that then I stopped uh, with the weed because I realized it truly was. It's not about, as you said, it's a, the intention. Why are we right. doing it? Not the amount of times or whatever the case is. Yeah. So now this is uh, around February of this year. And and at that point, I started getting more in touch with myself, poetry, philosophy, and, and getting that kind of healing. I was going on this uh, self-love healing journey um, of just being a better person. Right. Um, and wanting to be of service, wanting to live with gratitude, wanting to just live better because I realized that those years that I was living, it was just gray days. It wasn't happiness. It was just going through the motions. It was just waking up every day felt the same. There's no real like excitement or joy in my life. Right. It was just doing things. And, and around the time I started writing, just my thoughts about mental health, about my journey, about my thoughts, my feelings, all these things. And that's what ended up turning into the book that I just released. But during that process, was when I started keeping my case because I became so immersed in that inner journey and about writing. That's where I felt like myself again. Right. And so I, I it wasn't, it was Girpa. It, was, it wasn't a conscious choice where 
I was thinking about my hair, I just became so immersed internally mm -hmm. on the internal journey that I didn't feel like ever shaving or anything again. And I Changing loved just, your external experience. It, yeah. it made no sense to me anymore. Right. And, and it came back to full circle too as a kid. I had no logical explanation for my hair, mm -hmm. but now I felt like I had no logical explanation for cutting my hair. Yeah. So, wow. and then I just started stroking my beard, you know, writing, I love thinking, going in nature. Yeah. And I just love just having, you know, just being natural. Yes. And, yeah. and so that everything came full circle. And at that point, you know, with my brother having always been in my ear about Tiki and with th these things aligning, I thought, you know, I should learn about my faith actually. I should take it upon myself, as we all should, right? Everyone yeah. from, um, we should all know our roots. We should all take it upon ourselves. And I didn't. I became desensitized for so long that I didn't have a conscious thought towards that. But now that everything felt like it was aligning, mm -hmm. me drinking drugs and the appearance, I started learning. And I actually went to a class, uh, Dixie Godora, is a um, government class. Um, that, Fridays? Right, yeah. Yeah. Harmit Gill. Um, yep. He, he uh, did, I actually went through when I was on house arrest when I was okay. 16. Wow. So that was the first time I went to the Godora where I was being taught in English. Right. And I was very interested. I was, um, I, around that time, I actually was keeping my hair. It was up to shoulder length. But then I got caught up and Definitely. I cut my hair. That was around 17. And so there's always something in, inside of me that wanted that guidance. Right. And, but it never kind of happened. But then when I came back to that class, um, I, I had I knew my roots, the internal roots. That's what it's about. And when I went to the class again um, at the age of twenty nine, more um, clarity, no. more clarity, and and more of a and this was the first time I had been blessed to go to the Godora with that devotion rather than um, going because of a wedding, going because of your kind of your kind of forced to or like your parents. Yes. You wanted yeah. to be there. Yeah, I want. Yeah, the no expectations from people, and you got got to be here, etc. Right. So around that time. Someone made an announcement. This was in, I think, late March. Um, someone made an announcement that it was Sikh Heritage Month in Brampton. Mm. And we didn't have any of that in Rexdale. Or, and this is the first time I heard about it. So I was right. like, cool, there's, there's events I can learn. So then I went to um, those Sikh Heritage Month events in, uh, in April in Brampton. And that's when I got to know the Sangat, the community, events, um, smogum, like all those things. So then and I started... Uh, you know, you, you binge watch Netflix. Yeah. I binge watch Basics of Siki. Like, oh, nice. <laughs> That's awesome. I would, get, I would like eat dinner, get food, eat dessert, and just like binge watch. Like, I'd stay up all night wow. like, and just watch it. Like, I, Any just, video you got your hands every, on, right? Everything, yeah. just well, everything. And I just fell more and more in love with it. Yeah. Um, and everything clicked. Everything made sense. Um, everything that I was learning from, whether it was, it was Buddhism or, you know, Zen philosophy. Yeah. It was all kind of, you know, Ekonkar, the one consciousness. Everything just made sense. Yeah. Everything clicked. Yeah. And that's why I had been through that, this situation and the class you now um, with Guruji Skirpa, uh, Harmit and I, we, we do that together. Awesome. And, and he's had a similar journey from England. Yes. Um, so, so that all connected. And, and yeah, so that's, uh, that was the majority of, uh, um, of that kind of journey. Um, right. And when I started, and I went to the Nagarkit and then in, uh, it was April. Um, and that was the first time I uh, wore a turban again because they were tying the stars there. And that's when I felt like the kid inside of me again. Like, you know, like, this is what... It, this is what it meant to be. Yeah. Right. So it was just... That's awesome. Yeah. It's such it, a pure intention, too. Just, exactly. like, being that kid again. Like, a lot of times, sometimes it does become a fashion statement. But just... No, it just feels really nice hearing that. Definitely. Mm -hmm. And, like, while you're mentioning the, like, the beard and, like, stroke... Like, it just re reminded me of, like, the thought of um, another kind of 
thing to validate that, um, even though it doesn't require validation, but it's more so if we're looking inside, um, everything we do to groom ourselves, like there's obviously basic grooming that you always need to do, but mm-hmm. just to add to the extra layer of grooming, you're adding more to the illusion, right? For and sure. why add more to the illusion if it's just an illusion, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're adding more value to that when it's not required, right? And it can so easily you, get into vanity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very easily. Exactly. Yeah. For sure. Um, so we're just going to kind of like tippy toe back and forth with like personal stuff as well as your journey. Um, and maybe even kind of key into a little bit of the professional side as well. Um, you write that from all your demands your dad had, and this is a quote from your book, the greatest one was for me to encapsulate my own working existence into three little options, lawyer, doctor, or engineer. Um, and you mentioned that it made no sense. You just wanted to read and write. Uh, you ended up accomplishing what you wanted and what your dad wanted. You you pursued law and became an author and you're writing poetry. Can you talk more into detail about that like as in your exact journey for i know you mentioned it very heavily right now but um of how to how you got published and that process as well as uh some kind of struggles that you had while getting into law school from criminology to uh from york to like law school um what were the steps there and the struggles there so it feels like another lifetime ago because i if that was like jesse right so right. it's it, it, honestly Sometimes it's hard to even remember who that person was. Wow. But at the time, for sure, uh, applying to law school was stressful. Um, you know, am I going to get in? If I don't get in, do I have a backup plan? Should I go to England, um, another country? I remember feeling those sorts of things um, and all of the pressure because from parents and, and um, you know, and just myself. Uh, at that time, I, I was so immersed in thinking I wanted to be a lawyer and that my identity was kind of attached to that. Right. Um, and that's something you you see a lot with I think law students or professional like professional students you could say, or careers where there's a, that attachment. I am a law student. I am a lawyer. Yes. And and because so much of I think my satisfaction and happiness and contentment at the time was attached to the future, to being that that uh, status right. symbol or status uh, kind of label. Um, I was very stressed. Yeah. Um, I was very nervous. Uh, I. Um, I was, I, was uh, I wrote the LSAT, um, I was working at the time because I was just fresh out of uh, undergrad and there was a lot of pressure from parents, but it kind of worked out with um, God's blessings. It was, I, I never really was studious. Right. I kind of just winged things <laughs> and, and it, it still worked out. And, it worked out, nice. Yeah, and so um, I did realize at the time though, um, again, now this is what I would tell people that if they're in that similar situation yes. that it's definitely about you know bigger things than just that attachment to the identity it's about networking it's about having an ambition of why you want to serve why you want to be an advocate right um not just a lawyer for you know like you watch suits or something yeah and it's about the prestige the show the, you know th- that's not real it's not and, and you'll see this anywhere whether it's in faith or whether it's in self-development or that's not going to last you and give you contentment you're always going to be searching for for more and so really just um ground yourself with your intentions and if it's just something you're doing and and then you especially go overseas for example i know it's much more trickier to Mm. then start working here so if it's just at that point something that you're just doing um i feel like people should know that there's also people here that get into 
Canadian law schools that also just do it because they're just doing it. Right. So that makes it even harder. But if you, I don't think there's a problem going overseas if you actually are grounded and you know that drive and you have the ability to want to network and to reach out, um, get involved in the community and, and put that extra work in, um, then it's, you know, then it's your passion, which and passion will take you um, far, far um, especially combined with that humility to to want to serve and, and get that kirpa and blessings. I feel like that is, you know, right. the what people should be um, hopefully aspiring to, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, in terms of networking, I find that very interesting because a lot of times we're told networking the best way is you find a CEO or someone high up in a company and you ask them for coffee. It doesn't really matter what they do, why they do it or anything like that. Did you find yourself like filtering through options? Did you do research beforehand to try finding people who could get you to where you truly wanted to be? Or was it really like that cookie cutter mentality that, hey, if I get to talk to them, I will lend a job in, in that company? Or did you see a lot of that? It was a lot of that. Um, the, the latter, I at the time, if I um, if I was given proper guidance um, or, or genuine guidance, I would have uh, definitely done the former, which was to um, um, really be cognizant of what I wanted. But I, at the same time, I really didn't. I was just going through the motions in a way at the time. Um, but uh, having said that, um, there's such a there's such pressure and demands mm -hmm. while being a law student, um, right. while getting like the perfect summer job. Um, the perfect article position and the to get into a law school, uh, I believe in Canada at the time, I think there's maybe almost 4,000 applications or 3,500 and only 250 or 300 get in. Oh, wow. And then when you apply to law firms, there's thousands and thousands of applications and then there's only maybe one or one to five positions for articling. And so it's a lot about just trying to get what you can get. And that's not, you know, always the good thing, because as you said, you, you know, the guidance is, is kind of more important and knowing what you want and to align yourself with. But people, obviously, the rat race and all these things get to people, um, myself included. And at that point, there's, you know, um, meet and greets, wine and dines, wine and cheese events. And everyone's just, you know, trying to yeah. <laughs> trying to cater to people and trying to um, put their best version of themselves out and, and not really being themselves, mm -hmm. not really focusing on the ethics and values and, and what kind of people they want to align themselves with. It's just a lot of um, sucking up to people. Um, and and a lot of times, I, and I would go through these and I would try to play the part. Sometimes it would work out. Sometimes you'd hear radio silence from firms. And you, you put in all this effort, they big you up um, because they're looking at it as a game too. So from their end, they want to they want to make sure that some uh, candidates are are still given hope so that if one of their candidates doesn't fall through, they can rely on a backup. So they try to play this game where they keep everyone on their toes and excited. Right. But when they get who they want to get, their first choice, everyone gets radio silence. So right. at the time, I remember feeling really frustrated because a few of them, not all of them are like this, um, although a lot of them are guided by the same principles. But the ones that would just give the radio silence after, that was, uh, it was just frustrating. Yeah. I, I was just, it was just very weird too. It, it didn't seem professional. Um, and any of those things so so yeah yeah um yeah I have like a we have a couple of friends in law school and they kind of uh, echo the same thing right mm -hmm. um everyone's just trying to play a game versus right. um actually trying to get the good candidates right and yeah and and also when you're in it uh you can't see the outside mm -hmm. uh you can't see the other perspective and mm -hmm. now you see it right um do you remember the time where uh, i know you said like 10 months ago you you or probably a bit more now, um, 
in in November, I believe, where you kind of stopped and you said, no, this is not what I want to do. Um, the point where that shift happened, mm-hmm. what was what was happening right before that? Because w- what I want to get to is essentially what type of environment does someone need to be in to start reflecting on themselves? Right. Um, so I had just finished working at a, uh, at a personal injury law firm and okay. I had left that firm. So I had a bit of time. Honestly, it's time. Um, I understand that not everyone is going to be able to get a few months off at a time, for example. Right. I was blessed with that opportunity, but it's time, even if I feel if you're in a nine to five, which is nothing wrong with it, like, you know, being, being in any of these occupations or careers, but it's really about grounding yourself too and not getting at- attached to identity right. or thinking that a certain promotion or job will give you fulfillment and to always be on that search and to embrace the present and to have that um, contentment and santok from within. So for that is time. So even take 10 minutes out of your day at the end of the day and just analyze, okay, um, are the current friends I'm, I'm working with or uh, around, are they asking me about my self-development, asking me about my dreams and ambitions, or is it just let's hang out on a Friday and have a drink or watch a movie or, or the, the surface level things, which is right. a lot of times people are bored a lot of times people want to escape their own um, pain and that's what brings them together. But if there's higher aspirations, that's a good thing. That's, that means people are invested in themselves and in you and they're, they're working towards certain goals. So really time analyzing uh, friends, circles and and really being honest with yourself in terms of why you're doing the same thing to other people. I ha- I, I did that too where I was like, it's I can't just blame other people. Right. This person's doing that. I'm doing the same thing. Right. I'm asking friends to come on the weekends back then, you know, to drink. I'm asking, I'm doing the same thing. So right. I'm just as culpable, if not more. And it's about being honest with your own intentions. And when you unmask those intentions, I feel like that's where you find the voids. That's where you find out the the reasons why you're doing things. And a lot of it can stem from adolescence, teenagehood, pain from families, uh, trauma, whatever it, whatever it is. So really time to self-reflect and contemplate uh, intentions, actions, words, um, and and where th- these things come from. Anger, um, frustration, expectations, attachment to identity. Um, because really all these attachments to the external and, and the labels and careers, they're, they're a way for people to feel better. And why aren't we feeling good from within? So just really getting to that point. Right. So whether it's 10 minutes a day, an hour, a week, some people go on sabbaticals for yeah. this. So whatever works, whatever so, yeah. fits. That actually helps. So it's like time to really reflect um, uh, at your actions. Um, speaking about time, is that how you kind of came up with the content that you were writing about? Is At that time, were you writing stuff uh, that eventually made it into your book? Or what was the process of you becoming an author? So the original writing that I um, was doing touches on what what uh, we were just discussing in terms of the the voids and the right. insecurities and and the original book that I was writing was mental health related because I just wanted to help I just wanted to be like I think maybe I know or have a little bit of limited tiny wisdom and if this can help someone's days be a bit better I would love to share it so that's how it's sorry uh, and you took four months off right after um... it was yes I, uh, yeah four yeah, yeah four, months. four months yeah okay um, and so around that time, I just I was going through a lot of those dark days, as I, right. I mentioned earlier, and I wanted to help people overcome that. 
and to do the inner engineering right um because it's all perception um and so to change that perception and how to kind of be more happier essentially so that's what i started to write but then as i started to write more and more and reflect more and more mm-hmm. i feel like the the real wounds you know the healing came, came out and a lot of that had to do with um how much mothers do how much my mother did how much um there's a power imbalance in my family um how she was the one that was there for my field trips how she was the one that took care of like you know mothers do yep. for the most part obviously it's just not um dads don't do this but because of the traditional i guess you could say system right. that was put into place um and especially in punjabi communities um a lot of fathers do the the grind and then drink and right. then um because of their own issues and trauma and whether it's being left uh, at a young age from their own dads or um the genocide all of these things they resort to drinking and it makes them distant emotionally right. not right. grateful not loving not compassionate and and the and the mothers are the ones that really have their emotional bond a strong mm-hmm. one and while writing that just came out more right. and more and that was the true sense of you know the, the what you wanted to write about right? yeah the, the sense of justice the advocacy came out in in a more uh meaningful way for me right and so how long did that process take like from kind of you having when did you have the idea you're like okay this should probably be a book um verse and then eventually writing for the book I, it was in may okay. so it was after yeah. um being blessed with the the sikhi path and the yes. nagarkirtan and and getting more in tune with myself spiritually Yeah. Um it was around May. So it was it was actually quite recent May wow, too. Yeah. I released yeah. it. So I it, it kind of just came out I would spend some days 10 to 12 hours a day just writing. It's just I became so immersed in it. Right. And that's what I mean where like the the physical like it didn't right. matter to me. I just became so like immersed. Right. So it was more so uh, sorry I, I didn't um I was like I'm piecing everything together so like you you kind of started self reflecting you kind of got that uh, into the key um and then eventually you're like okay I have all this content and um now I want to help people with the wisdom that I've acquired and then may you started writing. Yeah. Um and then you started putting everything together. Um what was that process like? So 10 12 hours a day and then did you contact publishers what like what was that process like? So the other content I was writing I kind of put on the side that there's there's stuff that I definitely I'm going to get back to. Okay. Um but then for the the book I was reading that kind of came together in, in four parts and that kind of organically just happened. It just made sense to make it this way. Um and it initially it was much longer. So there's a lot of had to take out which I hopefully with um Kirpa would be able to write like a follow-up with a more personal in-depth one. Right. Um but um as for the process I just started writing and so around June it was almost no sorry July August um it was kind of almost a rough copy I could you could say right. and around that time um I I didn't have a a, a network of of authors or um publishers or anything so I knew I'd be taking the self publishing route sure um and and so that's how that came about I just contacted someone to do the the artwork the cover and um I just I at, around the time because of the four months I told my parents that I just want I really just had to focus on this I'm like I really need to just get it out right. and and they slowly came around to it they did not like it at first they still kind of don't yeah. slowly warming up to it and slowly kind of uh that that pressure is a, you know a different story we can touch on that too but that's definitely one of the biggest challenges is is breaking free I think from from what parents want um and uh and so 
so yeah so then um that process was just uh kind of just uh, just a set like on on my own just uh with with kerpa just just to put it out there right and so hopefully in the in the coming year um there's other ways and avenues for that to be more out there and then the publisher route whatever the case is may happen but until then it was really just for me to just get it out get so it out there. whoever reads it you know reads it yeah and i just know that if i were to uh pass today at least some of my stories out and i just needed to express that 100% and so you went like the amazon or like i was looking at it today to be honest i was going to uh get it uh, prabhjot got one of our sevadars has already almost read it uh so she highly recommends it and uh i think i'm definitely going to take a look um so you went the amazon publishing route that's that's the uh platform you used or yeah yeah okay perfect yeah. and then were and you it, yeah sorry good um sorry i was just going to say i know a few people um also i think rupi kaur humble the poet they had um mentioned and and said things such as you know just get it out there do i i believe they both went that route too yeah um because at one point i was thinking you know i need a publisher i need to do that and i was trying to reach out um but it's very competitive there too and i think the main thing is to kind of just work on it to actually do the work get right. it out there and then slowly if you know it if it's kind of meant to be and if the passion is there it'll kind of align through that kerpa and and to right. just kind of get it out there though right. kind of kind of just start working on yourself and start doing it yourself and just kind of naturally see where it goes do the work in itself rather right. than the external like Ex- side yeah. yeah and the expectations that come with that definitely um so any tips for like aspiring authors like as you just said just do the work is mm-hmm. that the main thing or would you kind of say plan out your books first or any other or even tips handling that family that may not be as supportive yeah. of a writing career per se or not even just like author let's say journalism that could come up any any tips for dealing with that as well i think a lot of um a lot of the tips that coincide with that would be what we alluded to earlier in terms of intention in terms of you know why do you want to do this um because if it's for an easy way out if it's for likes if it's for popularity if it's if it's for one of those kinds of reasons which can be the same reason for lawyers or any other occupation it's not going to be as powerful and it's not going to maybe come out as naturally so really dig deep and and find out why you want to write and why you want to share something because i think it's very admirable to want to share something but just just to know why you're doing it um mm-hmm. and what the intention is i feel like if the intention is to serve and to help then for sure it'll come out and and to be reflective and and take time to just uh, understand why you want to write first and foremost and then obviously the other things are cliche but they're very true practice um 5 minute if you can't write it, the beginning just do 5 minutes yeah um read definitely read um it was something that i didn't get into through uni um and uh and law school for a while just to read for leisure uh it was just the books and the textbooks i think we all probably might, yeah. might go through that at times uh so that was something that slowly changed and that was something that was a big blessing because really um when you want to read something and when you're invest invested in it then you can pick up on different things to help you think more broadly too and that writing will come out um so know your content know your intentions and then when you have that grounding you can then read a book that's similar to that and then help you with your ideas right yeah that's gotcha and um you also mentioned you went from just gunroll to jesse um in the workplace a lot of times names like the raj become just raj or dal raj um whether it be like correct pronunciation or just a westernized nickname yeah um 
do you think we need to change this? Is it a problem that you face? Have you gone back from Jesse to Just Gunwell ever since you've had these uh, realizations, your your journey into Sikhi, etc.? I think it's it's flipped, right? Yeah, yes, like right. twice technically, if you think about it. Yeah, no. Sorry, I meant like Jesse do. Oh, yeah, Just yeah. Gunwell back the other way. It, it's interesting because I was so used to hearing my name um, being butchered, essentially. But I also heard it as, <laughs> as Jaskinwall. And I kind of got used to that too. And I feel like it's just, yeah, it's just gone well. And the really, another way to say it's just gummo. Um, okay. But, and jazz can well is, is the kind of Western thing you say. So I'm, I'm actually slowly getting used to it too. I kind of like both, but you know, it's just gone well, mm-hmm. right? So I'm getting used to that. But as for your question, it's, I feel like a big thing that people should really be cognizant of uh, and, and think of is, do you want to work with people who are conformist and who aren't inclusive? Because that's the root of it. Mm-hmm. And if their whole structure and system is based on that conformity, then you're not going to be free and open to kind of have others. If something as profound and meaningful as your name isn't going to be given respect, then maybe your ideas or anything else isn't going to be, you know, looked yeah, at. Definitely. Especially if you're new there. Definitely. So it's, it's a warning sign for sure. Mm-hmm. I think people should really take note of that. And it goes back to that take what you get rat race mentality right. it's not good because if you combine that with this conformist culture then you're even narrowing yourself down more and more and as we know once you start doing something or working somewhere and that attachment settles in and that kind of uh, maya just entraps you in a way like and your mind starts working in this way it becomes harder you might have a kid or you might have other financial pressure and expectation and debt and then you get comfortable and that happens a lot and you don't explore other options so then you um, stop challenging that status quo, even in your mind. You you stop challenging those ideas, right? Right. Um, I I agree with that so much. Just thinking about like the conformist culture. Um, if first of all, any organization, especially now a modern organization, they need ideas from different perspectives and different cultures. Right. Right. Uh, they think differently. If you speak a different language, you you think entirely different differently versus someone who speaks a single like or only speaking sings uh, speaks a single language. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, by not allowing yourself um, to to basically confront that and say no, it's, this is how you say my name. And that culture isn't there. They're not going to respect your ideas either, for sure, for sure. right? I see myself doing this even at like, uh, at like Starbucks. At first, like mm. I used to be like, like just Kowinder, right? And then now I'm like Kalavinder, and then mm. I spell it out for them. Mm-hmm. I'll be like K U, and I'll wait because I'm like, no, you need to get my name right for sure, right? Um, and especially coinciding with the fact that, you know, as sex, our names are given to us from Guruji, and and we should truly connect and understand the importance of that all together because we can all respect each other's spiritual journey and understand our names and our, our histories and our, our journeys and come together as that Sangat and, and that makes it much more profound too. And and that that conformist culture, it's funny, my dad actually when I was a kid, sometimes he'd call me even Jason. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like what like you know from just Gunwall to Jason. Yeah, I, yeah. I think he kind of uh just thought it was cool or funny or like you know but um maybe it even it, goes back to the roots as you were mentioning it right, was, right. he was trying to it's it's a deep-rooted like belief that he might have had and it he didn't probably even know that no. that's what he was trying to do right exactly and and th- that sense of uh oppression that that made his way to it towards his mind if i had taken that name jason as a kid i would be a totally different person too i the way people perceive me the way people say my name the way i would think would be much different so names are definitely important um 
and and to find uh, one's uh, meaning and the name uh, the purpose behind the name and the respect for why it's that way is definitely for all of us to take uh, note of right um a lot of people shy away from the sikhi surup in the professional world uh because they believe it will hold them back um in their careers um you having experienced kind of like both sides to the coin if you will uh what would you say to those people I think it kind of goes back to um, what we just talked about in terms of uh, the kind of culture you want to work with and the kind of people you want to work with. If you um, if if you're around people who who think this is a big deal, then it's just not a good sign. It's not a it's not a truly open and inclusive environment, and that's not going to bring out the best version of yourself. And because work and career and occupation is such a important aspect of our lives, and that you know to make a living. Um, you want to be in a place where you can express yourself and be yourself because so much of our time is spent there and it's one of uh, you know the goals we have inner fulfillment to also be to also work in a way where we can maximize our potential and our um, and our reasons for wanting to work definitely um, so to, to get that in all places um, you need to be aligning with, with what you your values are so so I definitely think that for people um, who who are shying away from it, um, just to to really take note of why, what reasons have made you shy away from it. Um, that I think that's really important because that's what made me more aware of who I was uh, after healing through that and after right. really taking note of, you know, because every little thing or every little action or event that we go through slowly shapes us. And the things that make us feel maybe a bit insecure, or maybe different, they all stem from somewhere. Right. Um, so try to unpack that and, and really uh, and really take note of that because that inner discovery and the inner reflection will will take you much further than any kind of external validation or, or conform conformist kind of mentality. Right. Definitely. I think even small changes like you just mentioned, um, if you kind of like a, a name you know that common saying what's in a name right but a na- it's a small thing in a certain relative sense um but uh you know how they say like if you take a small direction change in the course of a long period it ch- you are in different uh like essentially time zones right like you can get into a different area of your life you can become a completely different person so if you give up on that thing and then the next thing it's like how what's the line Right. Um, where do you stop? And, and the segues. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, no, I was just gonna say, and, and I can just relate to that so much because sometimes with that slight name change, it can take you nineteen years into depression, alcoholism, and a, and a different version of yourself that yeah. you that you really were. And just as you said, that one little change. For example, if the Titanic had left on a one small degrees trajectory in a different yes. way, it would not have hit. So, hundred percent, I agree. Yeah. And I, I think this segues really well into our, our next kind of topic um, in terms of happiness in your workplace. So you talked about your father. He shares what what many call the typical immigrant story um, with which a lot of, of our parents share. He came to this country not knowing English or not knowing a lot of it, had to make ends meet, uh, mentioned working in a factory and, quote, he endured long, strenuous, grueling overtime hours just to survive, provide for the family and then save. So in order to escape his stress, he started drinking like his father did and like you would also eventually do. 
Our parents didn't have the privileges that we have today. So even, let's say, taking time off to reflect because it was all about survival. Mm -hmm. uh, we constantly are now looking for happiness in our jobs, right? That could be interpreted as realizing ourselves through the work that we do. Um, we look for satisfaction and then we have the luxury to quit a job if it's not meeting our expectations, which you also mentioned doing, um, I believe, in November. And then our parents never thought about if their work made them happy because they didn't really have a choice. It was all instinct. It was providing for their family. So what can we learn from this? And do you think our generation is the quitting generation or it's more of the thinking critically generation? The millennials. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely that, you know, that pressure Monday to Friday, nine to five grind. Sometimes it goes well beyond, well beyond nine to five. Um, so it, uh, at some law firms, for example, uh, some lawyers will work 60 and other occupations for sure, 50, 60, 70, 80 hours. Um, and then you come home, you kind of, a lot of people are on their cell phones. A lot of people might hit, squeeze in the gym, but by the time they get home, generally it's dinner time and sleep time. Yeah. And then the weekends can be, become about escapism, whether through drinking uh, or whether through, even if you don't drink or don't do drugs, um, going out to re like just restaurants, just escapism, trying to right. like, I can't wait TGIF. Right. You know, right. So there's just the weekend. You're always looking forward, right. Definitely. To the future. Definitely. And that expectation of happiness is contingent upon the future all the time. So that is a very, um, problematic pattern. And you continue that week after week, after week, after week, it becomes very mind numbing. So there's nothing I feel wrong or anything problematic about the, the jobs or professions or even that lifestyle. But it's about, as we said, that the inner fulfillment first and foremost, and to be grounded um, ethically, morally, spiritually, and mentally, and to have that balance from within. So, so if one is in that pattern, it's not the problem. You can still have satisfaction, comfort, and happiness, but just try not to be a product of that system. And um, don't get attached to this identity of being a specific worker, being a specific uh, label and of the pattern of TGIF, you know, waiting for the weekends all the time. Um, so you can achieve that inner bliss, um, but it gets harder the more entrenched you are with your identity and expectations. So um, and it, can, it can also make you, I think, dependent on people, friends and relationships, and you lose your ambitions, your dreams and your interests, and you simply rely on, on the things that we're talking about. So so to combat that, I feel, um, especially youth, there is a kind of tendency, I feel, to kind of jump jobs and and to look for something better, but look for that within first. And and then everything else that you see around you, because this is something that I felt that every place I worked at, every law firm I was at, it was people with big egos that, especially, that really didn't sit well with me and that I really didn't enjoy that work. People that were very controlling, right. people that were very egotist egotistical and, and disrespectful to staff and people that would um, personally insult people and make like personal um, remarks about one's appearance. It right. just didn't make sense to me. Right. We're here to do work and we're here to serve and help people. There's no reason for those things. And that pattern kept coming up. And that was the reason I kept kind of being dissatisfied and looking for other jobs. But really, I just needed to get over, like kind of not get over. Like, I needed to look into that and find out where that was taking me. And so if you co continuously feel unfulfilled at work or feel as if you don't have the best uh, current position, I think there's a lesson that can be learned there. Um, and to take that lesson, fulfill yourself internally and then 
align yourself with what you want and then that inner fulfillment with the need obviously to make a living kind of can align right i i even had a kind of like a thought while you're talking there i don't know if you heard of simon sinek um he's a um he wrote uh uh, start with why okay. this book and he mentions that there's a lot of people uh in this situation like the millennials everybody kind of blames them right <laughs> like you guys are lazy um and he was talking to millennials and he's like um uh the companies would come to him for like advice and they're like what should we do they're like they they want bean bean bags and free lunch like we should give them like beanie bags and free lunch and they did that and nothing changed mm-hmm. um and then eventually they're like I just don't feel like I'm making an impact, right? right. When they were having that conversation. And he's like, you know, you've only been here eight months, right? Like, <laughs> it's like sometimes impact takes longer as well. Right. And people think that we want things quicker, mm-hmm. right? Um, they're not doing the deep dive, as you said, like looking internally, like what mm-hmm. am I, what, how do I do, how do I want to make an impact, right? right? They're not looking at the long-term goal. They're just thinking if I get a job, um, I did this degree, I got a job, now I can make an impact. Mm-hmm. Um, an impact starts with intention as well, right? For like sure. you need a goal, you need a, you need vision to make impact, right? So I think that was what's missing in, in my opinion. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, you also mentioned the, the personal remarks about appearance. Um, this is more, again, it could be physical or just your sick values in general. Did you ever have that dilemma at work? Where your sick values didn't align with your job or company values that could be working with an egotistical lawyer that could be um maybe shying away from a case how did that look for you in the workplace um so so definitely the those values were, were the dilemmas that i faced um and at the time i, I you know i wasn't blessed to to be on on the sicky path but that dilemma was there inside internally and so it didn't sell well with me for lawyers to take advantage of people to because work was always supposed to be in my opinion but like honest work not taking right. advantage and just the bottom line mm-hmm. right and so good faith fair dealings and the essence of law is to be that way and it's practically but in practicality it's much different so the the foundation of the legal system was you know is fairness civility righteousness equality virtue honesty integrity and and these sorts of things but then you get to these law firms and because a lot of people, I feel, come from similar backgrounds in the sense of the expectations, whether it's from, it can be an immigrant parent, it can be someone that's already in a top law firm, it can be someone in politics, but they all want that pressure on their kids, regardless of background, to do the same thing and to get, and they, right. those kids might not get the most healthy, I guess you could say, understanding and love. And so their identity becomes attached to this status or quote unquote privilege and prestige of a lawyer and so then that ego and and power game starts and so um really a lot of times you'll see clients are treated as objects for revenue rather than living breathing people who are going through their own adversity and so that lack of compassion and and or they was was not there and that was something that you know was was not vibing with you exactly yeah 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 for sure i i also see it as external kind of um, person who views the uh, law through, I guess, like some of our friends, we, we see that uh, happening as well, where they explain these stories, right? Um, they're not, uh, especially like with, for example, um, articling students, they're treated as like, oh, we've 
we paid our dues so you need to pay your dues right? right and it's just like you need to do this because we did this right, right? it's right. just the culture of the of the kind of profession at times mm-hmm. um and i see it in engineering as well like there's there's some unsaid rules that they that they've created somehow and so that's what you need to kind of do otherwise like you're not really part of the group right right and that that's uh, toxic it is because then who's going to change it who's going to make mm-hmm. it better you can't exactly. just just because it's done in the past does it mean it's right, right. So 100% for sure. And did you see that kind of mentality also get pushed down where let's say you wanted to implement change, but since there's not a lot of people doing the same thing you want to do, it's like, okay, maybe put this guy aside or, you know, maybe give him less work, anything like that, that you experienced? Um, to be honest at that time, I just wasn't awakened to my voice. I was just, uh, you know, as, as an article student, it's easy to be a pushover and it's easy to, uh, to not be the person that wants to rock the boat, especially mm-hmm. because um, at that time you're so focused on how am I going to be perceived by other law firms and yeah, other right. lawyers and other professionals. And, and it becomes this kind of, you know, muddy swamp and you're stuck and you, you want to sometimes do better. And sometimes I even talked to a few colleagues at the law firm and said, you know, I, I should be, I should uh, maybe report this or like, you know, talk to someone, but they're worried about their job security yeah. and they have kids and they have their family obligations. Right. And then it, then it's even a more trickier situation, how to balance that. And, and so it really, I was just, I felt maybe, maybe I should have, despite that, I, I still don't know the answer truly to that question, but I was really just stuck and it was a, a feeling of powerlessness. Um, but now I think, the main one of my main kind of driving um, factors is to hopefully contribute to some sort of systemic level change where I might not be able to um, help this particular person, but maybe if they can plant seeds, hopefully maybe for with for a better future or something that can be a change. Mm-hmm. Um, because right now, even with with firms and, and clients, for sure, people need help, but a lot of lawyers can do that work and it becomes a revolving door. And you just help one person and then you help another person, but there's no ground level and systemic change. Definitely. And so is that kind of your aspirations for the coming like few years? Is that going to be uh, in the next four or five years um, looking at how you can create that systemic change uh, through either your writing or um, what kind of vision do you have for that? And how do you plan on making that systemic change? For sure. So. I really want to keep focusing on inner development and becoming involved more with youth, especially young men struggling with uh, masculinity and uh, drug issues, um, and to really get involved more with youth, um, continuously invest in them. And aligned with that is uh, education and policy work, um, governmental work, uh, and being a part of uh, the school curriculum, perhaps uh, education and policy work, to really use my law degree in a way that is combined with that passion and the youth and the only way really that we can help guide others is through education so whatever we can teach uh, kids in a more meaningful way um, would definitely be something um, that i would love to do and on the flip side the the legal work i'd be open to if it's more i guess you could say uh broader cases right right and so all right all right that's fair um, so how would you describe yourself in one sentence? So example, if you had to complete the sentence, how would it end? Just Gunwal saying, or just Kamal saying is. 
Jiskunwal Singh is uh, the stardust of the infinite cosmos encapsulated into what we know as a human vessel, um, a living, talking, walking, breathing human body that is here to embrace oneness and to just do what I can to help others with Girpa in whatever way I can. So the very simple definition. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we're nearing the end of our podcast here. Um, what we like to do is ask uh, five random questions. Uh, they're very quick um, questions that we ask. So whatever comes to your end, we call it the random five. Sure. Um, so it'll be me and the Raj going back and forth with the questions. I'll start off. Are you ready? Sure. Uh, what is your favorite book? All time, I would have to still... Can I... It's only one? Sure. <laughs> you can do one or two. Okay. Sure. One or, okay. Harry Potter will always be there. Yes. That is the, the, the one that's just there all the time. I've read them each, each one from the series a bunch of times but there's another series called the bailey school kids um i used to read it as a kid um and it was always about these uh these teachers and um where uh, a gym teacher or someone in the cafeteria is a bunch of school kids right you know what sorry this was meant to be a fact yes <laughs> okay. <I agree. laughs> That's fair. okay even i forgot i was so invested <laughs> into it i was like all right um what sorry go ahead Sure. Um, what is your favorite quote or Bani Pankti? I really love, um, obviously it's hard to pick favorites for sure, but Sab uh, but I just love being in nature and being immersed in that. And um, So those two ones for sure are, are meaningful. What is one of your weird quirks? Um, sleeping with a gumball and the fan on. Uh, <laughs> or I also love fidget cubes. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. If you could meet anyone in history, who would it be? Don Gununanak Devji, for sure. For sure. What is your biggest pet peeve? Injustice. That's not deep at all. Yeah, <laughs> just light, you know. <laughs> wow. All right. Uh, before we end off today, uh, first of all, uh, I really do want to say this. Um, I've I've been on many podcasts now, not many, but a few. Um, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I feel like I've really learned a lot. Um, and not to say I didn't learn a lot before, but I really um, appreciated this conversation. So thank you. Oh, thank um, you, Perspective. But before we end off, do you want to say something to the listeners uh, that you think is... Sure. Well, first of all, uh, thank you. I'm grateful for the opportunity. It was a wonderful experience. I learned a lot too. The, um, the questions and the feedback both were insightful, thought-provoking. Um, so thank you again uh, for the opportunity for me to express myself. Thank you to everyone listening. I'm, I'm grateful if you even listened to a few minutes of me. And if you made it to this point, I'm even more grateful because uh, I consider myself just a foolish person. But if, if anything I say can resonate, that's all that matters. So I do apologize if I said anything that may have hurt anyone's feelings or sentiments or if I said something inaccurate. And whether or not you agree or like what I said, I'm just sending everyone that's listening love and um, hopefully we can all just continue to be better people um, daily. Awesome. And I know that um, like obviously in this day and age, everybody has social media and where can they find you? Like what are your uh, Instagram tag or Twitter? I don't know. Sure. On, on Instagram, uh, my tag is jiskanwal.sing. So that's J-A-S-K-A-N-W-A-L dot sing. Um, and uh Everything else is, is through there, um, the, the links to Twitter and whatnot. I'm also, someone is also actually working on a website for me, and that will be com. So thankfully I got my name, just, just so yeah. www.jiskanwall.com. Awesome.
All right, to everyone listening, please also make sure to check out the bonus episode where we will be going into a deep dive of Just Gunwell Singh's book and other topics that we weren't able to address in this episode uh, j- just due to the theme of the podcast. So definitely check that out. You've been listening to the Experience Saki podcast. 